Hello and welcome to the MedEd Podcast, a free audio lecture series that reviews high-yield medical topics frequently seen on the boards and throughout your career in medicine. Your success is our mission. Hey folks, this is Will, third-year medical student at the University of Nevada, Reno School of Medicine. Today we'll be diving into the microbiology differential diagnosis of a urinary tract infection, or UTI. Can you describe what UTI looks like in a patient? So this is going to be your pregnant or multiparous female that comes in complaining of a burning sensation while urinating, a constant urge to urinate, the urine stream is stop and go, and the urine has changed colors to perhaps a dark, cloudy, even reddish hue. Vitals may show fever. Urine dipstick shows positive leukocyesterase, positive hemoglobin, and positive nitrites. This woman has a UTI. In the hospital, the second they tell you the patient, male or female, has a urinary catheter, you're also going to think UTI. If this patient were a male, you have the added difficulty of differentiating UTI from acute prostatitis. Though they're generally caused by the same bugs, so treatment will be similar. But acute prostatitis will be described as having a painful or bloody ejaculate and digital rectal examination will yield a boggy enlarged prostate that when pressed expresses prostatic fluid from the urethral meatus of the penis that could be analyzed for bacteria and leukocytes. Anyway, a patient walks in with a UTI, what is the bug causing it? Most likely, E. coli. What if you rule out E. coli or it is not an option? Then you should probably pick Klebsiella. What if the patient is a sexually active female? Statistically, the answer is still E. coli, but on the exam, the history and labs are likely going to push you more towards Staph saprophyticus. What if the patient has a catheter? You should think Pseudomonas, especially if they describe a green biofilm on the catheter. In general, a green biofilm should really make your brain jump to Pseudomonas in pretty much any situation. Other common causes of UTI include Proteus mirabilis, the gut bacteria Serratia and Enterobacter, as well as Enterococcus faecalis. How will you treat UTIs? The favorite is probably nitrofurantoin. Second or third generation cephalosporins are possible and probably more favorable in a pregnant patient. Trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole or Bactrim is effective but fairly contraindicated in the first trimester due to its effects on folate. However, folate supplementation is usually a sufficient countermeasure. Fluoroquinolones like ciprofloxacin and levofloxacin are usually reserved for complicated UTIs, like those caused by kidney stones, indwelling catheters, and severe UTIs, because of their various side effects and are not a popular choice for pregnancy. So let's figure out how to interpret labs related to a UTI. What does a positive leukocyte esterase tell you? It tells you that there are white blood cells in the urine. What does a positive nitrite tell you? It pretty much tells you that the organism is gram-negative. This means that some cases of UTI won't be picked up by dipstick. So what do you do in these cases? You can do a urinalysis. And what will you see on UA that is diagnostic of a UTI? Usually, you'll see bacteria, 
Um, we call them colony forming units, uh, and you'll see them in the numbers of thousands to ten thousands if it is a lower UTI, and greater than a hundred thousand colony forming units if it is an upper UTI. So what do we call a lower UTI? Usually we call that cystitis. And what do we call an upper UTI? Generally, pyelonephritis. And what if the infection goes beyond the kidneys to the blood? What do we call that? Sepsis. All right, so you may have to differentiate between upper and lower UTI. What are some differences that you can think of on H&P? The patient may have costovertebral tenderness in pyelonephritis, but not in cystitis. Furthermore, pyelonephritis is more likely to have systemic symptoms like fever and chills. What differences will you see on UA? Well, with pyelonephritis, since the infection is all the way up in the renal tubules, white blood cells are going to attack and get mushed together in the tight space and high pressures of the renal tubules. This forms a cylinder of cells that are visible when injected into the urine and analyzed under the microscope. We call these white blood cell casts. For the sake of your exam, you will not see white blood cell casts unless the infection has reached the kidneys. Excellent. So what are the predisposing factors for urinary tract infection? So there can be structural factors like being female and having a short urethra located closely to the anus. Uh, notice that most of the organisms that cause UTI live in the colon. Hence, women are advised to always wipe from front to back to avoid fecal contamination of their vagina and urethra. Weight from a fetus during pregnancy can also shift the urethra into a more open position, which not only increases the likelihood of infection, but is also the reason that pregnant women frequently experience stress incontinence, which is when a sneeze, cough, or simply standing from a seated position can cause a small amount of urine to leak out. Foreign objects like catheters are extremely important for fairly obvious reasons. Foreign objects of any kind will pretty much always increase the chance of infection, particularly by organisms that can form a biofilm or vegetations on that object. Stasis is also a predisposing factor for UTIs, similar to how a flowing stream in nature has less bacterial content compared to a stagnant pond. Anything that blocks urinary flow will increase the chances of UTI like benign prosthetic hyperplasia, vesicoureteral reflux, etc. Also, anything that decreases urine production, like kidney damage or surgery, or simply dehydration, will also increase urinary stasis and increase infection risk. Diabetes is also an important predisposing factor. Why might that be? So despite the fact that diabetes increases urinary flow, it causes the urine to be very sugary and nutritious for bacteria, so it creates a suitable environment for infection. One challenge with UTIs is distinguishing them from sexually transmitted infections, or STIs. We'll have another episode dedicated to just STIs. If the patient is not sexually active for several months prior to the onset of symptoms, then you can pretty well assume that this is a UTI. But sexual activity does not guarantee that this is an STI. In general, test makers are going to suggest that the patient in question is sexually active with many partners, which increases the risk for STIs. STIs will also generally give some associated symptoms like lesions or other issues and will be more heavily focused on the discharge rather than the urinary symptoms, though urinary symptoms may be present in STIs. Furthermore, 
STIs tend to take a course that attacks the internal and external genitalia rather than the urinary tract. So what will we see in women with an STI? We'll likely see vulvovaginitis, cervicitis, or pelvic inflammatory disease. What about in men? In men, it can be more challenging because the penis is both the external genitalia and it houses the urethra. So expect discharge, possibly some testicular pain suggestive of epididymitis. So what if you get to the test and you're not sure what to pick? My rule of thumb is that if it is a male with urinary symptoms and discharge without predisposing factors for UTI, in other words, no catheter, no BPH, or diabetes, think STI. If it is a female, make sure you thoroughly rule out UTI before you pick an STI, and it should be easier to discern the difference with a female patient. There you go. So to recap, E. coli is the number one cause of UTI overall, followed by Klebsiella, though some sources say Staph saprophyticus is number two overall. In sexually active females, E. coli is still the number one cause of UTI but Staph saprophyticus is number two and will probably be the answer based on labs and if E. coli is not one of the answer choices. A catheter should immediately make you think of UTI, and though it can be various bugs, Pseudomonas will generally be the bug you pick because of its ability to form a biofilm on the catheter. Know how to interpret urine dipstick, in other words, uh, what a positive leukocyesterase means and what nitrites mean, and how to interpret a UA, so you should know that greater than 100,000 colony-forming units is pyelonephritis, and numbers in the thousands or ten thousands is more suggestive of cystitis. Know that women are far more likely to experience a UTI than men. Know the predisposing factors to UTI related to urethral structure, urinary stasis, and formation of a favorable environment for bacteria, such as is the case with diabetes. Uh, know the difference between upper UTI versus lower UTI. So your analysis will show white blood cell casts in an upper UTI. That should make you think of pyelonephritis. Uh, an upper UTI is also more serious, thus it tends to have more systemic signs and symptoms. Also know the difference between a UTI versus an STI versus prostatitis. So prostatitis will obviously only affect males. It tends to have a bloody or painful ejaculate with it, and digital rectal examination shows a boggy, swollen prostate. You should examine the prostatic fluid for bacteria and white blood cells. UTIs have many urinary symptoms related to polyuria, dysuria, incontinence, poor voiding, etc., and the course of the disease is more related to the urinary tract, whereas STIs, while similar to the other two, for the purposes of the exam will necessarily be transmitted via sexual contact, so they will underline this fact. They tend to have a course for the genitals and tend to focus more on the discharge. And they will frequently have various other associated symptoms that UTIs and prostatitis simply will not have. A few things before I go. Viral UTIs are extremely uncommon and you really aren't going to see them much in immunocompetent patients. Still, on your exam, if you see a patient, especially an immunocompromised one, with pink or frankly bloody urine suggesting hemorrhagic cystitis or an otherwise negative UA or dipstick, you'll be forced to have viral causes in your differential. There are three viruses that I can think of that might cause this. Do you know what those are? Adenovirus, BK virus, and CMV. 
and these are in order of most to least likely. Furthermore, you might see hemoglobinuria, which is red or pink urine, without whole red blood cells or white blood cells, or signs and symptoms of UTI, and is frequently due to some hemolytic problem. This is not a UTI, and should not have similar signs and symptoms, but I'm adding it here for completeness sake. There are two bugs that actually cause red blood cell hemolysis in the kidneys, and will usually be your answer for non-UTI causes of hemoglobinuria. What are those bugs? Shigella and E. coli, specifically enterohemorrhagic E. coli, or EHEC. This is a microangiopathic hemolysis due to shearing blood cells across tiny blood vessels covered in small clots. You'll also see schistocytes on blood smear and an elevated BUN and creatinine due to poor renal function. What do we call this constellation of symptoms? Hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS. Hemolytic because of the destroyed red blood cells, uremic because of the elevated BUN and creatinine. That covers the microbiology of UTIs. Good luck on your exam, and I'll catch up with you in another episode. Thank you for listening to the MedEd Podcast. If you liked what you've heard, please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. If you found any information to be inaccurate, or you have ideas for future episodes, or you would like to contribute to future podcasts, please email us at mededpodcast at gmail.com. That's mededpodcast, M-E-D-E-D, podcast at gmail.com. The song you heard at the beginning is called May the Chords Be With You by Computer Music All-Stars. The transitions came from a song called Where Was I by Lee Rosevear. The song you're hearing now is called Night Owl by Broke for Free. The MedEd podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and it is not intended to replace proper medical consultation from a trained and licensed professional. The improper diagnosis and treatment of disease can lead to injury and death. Contact a qualified healthcare provider about your health concerns. While we will strive to bring the most correct and up-to-date material, the information presented may not always be accurate and is ultimately your responsibility to verify. The MedEd podcast has no affiliation with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, or USMLE, or any other affiliations for that matter, and the information presented here is not guaranteed to be representative of information presented on any examination or within the context of medical practice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the creators of said podcast. They do not purport to reflect the opinions of the University of Nevada Reno School of Medicine or the opinions of any other institution with which the creators may be associated.